Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here, and we're talking about law for Virginia law enforcement officers. Cases, statutes, constitutional law, uh, Virginia court opinions. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer to do your job here in the Commonwealth of Virginia? I'm so excited by you know the feedback we've gotten from you guys. I got the chance to meet some people in classes in the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's great to see everyone thinking about these issues and trying so hard to uh, strengthen their communities, better serve their communities, be better law enforcement officers. You know, that's my experience, you know, for 20 years that I, every time I work with law enforcement in Virginia, you guys are always trying to do, do it right and uh, do it better. And that's why we've got this podcast out here for you to try to give you the tools to do that. We are uh, into the second month of the special session and Bills are just starting now to reach the governor's desk, so we're going to start to see, I think, what's actually going to become law out of this um, sort of police reform-focused special session. So we'll be able to talk about that in the next few weeks. Today, I want to finish up our series on civil disturbances. We've been talking about disorderly conduct, obstruction of justice, escape, and so on. What are the sort of basic statutes that govern uh, police citizen encounters when they go wrong, when the person starts to you know, fight or struggle or resist, or somebody just shows up and decides that they're going to disrupt an arrest or investigation? Uh, what are the statutes that you have available, and what are, how, are they sort of, um, how are they defined, and how do the courts look at those cases? Well, we talked about disorderly conduct a couple episodes ago and really took that statute apart. Last episode, we talked about obstruction of justice. We talked about passive obstruction, sort of uh, under subsection A, 18.2460, what does it mean to simply obstruct without using any kind of force or threats of force or anything like that? And then today's episode, we're going to now go into 182460B, 182460D, uh, C and D, and, uh, and also talk about escape and talk about what happens when force actually starts to become involved. Uh, and also we'll talk about the false statements uh, section as well. So to review, 18.2460 has a bunch of different codes, parts in it, but the, the basic breakdown is between A and B. A is just when somebody obstructs a law enforcement officer, a judge, a prosecutor, a witness, and so on in the performance of their lawful duty. But subsection B, and as we saw from the cases, uh, B, A mostly refers to passive obstruction, somebody uh, doing something with the intention of preventing the officer from doing their job that doesn't necessarily involve them using force or threats of force. But B specifically talks about using threats or force, uh, knowingly attempting to intimidate or impede and a judge, magistrate, justice, juror, attorney for the Commonwealth witness, law enforcement officer, or animal control officer. So a lot of times, you know, when I was doing these cases regularly, I would call A, subsection A obstruction, called B impeding. This code section, this part of the section B here, uses the word intimidate or impede. And so I always found it was helpful to call this impeding uh, and call subsection A obstruction. But it's talking about using threats or force. So you can see it's stepping it up a little bit. Now the punishment remains the same. It's still a class one misdemeanor. So it's still punishable by up to 12 months in jail and up to $2,500 fine or both. Um, but, uh, but the behavior involved is certainly more, um, I don't know, it's more culpable. It's worse behavior. So the first question is, 
um, you know, when we're talking about threats, what are we talking about here? So an example of this um, would be TESTA versus Commonwealth. And this is a case from 2009 from the Court of Appeals where officers responded to a domestic call involving the defendant and his girlfriend. The report was the defendant was armed and the officers knew him from another situation where he had already fought with them before. Uh, when they get there, he's barricaded behind a door. The door is locked. And the defendant uh, from behind the door uh, threatens the officers and says, I'm going to pick you off one by one if you try to arrest me. He said, I, if I'm going back to jail, I'm bringing you down with me and continued making these threats for about 10 minutes. So, you know, what are we talking about here? Obviously, we're talking about a domestic violence suspect who's barricaded behind a door, who's threatening to kill police officers. That is what we're talking about when we talk about, you know, uh, threats, a, th a threat obstruction. Um, in Testa, the court wrote, for all the deputies knew, Testa could have burst through the door and opened fire at any moment uh, during the tirade. They didn't know if he was armed or not, right? So that is classic subsection B obstruction, okay? And and it becomes much, that, that obviously then makes it much clearer than the subsection A obstruction where you have to make, you know, this, this elaborate analysis where you have to sort of say, well, is a person simply making my job harder or are they actually doing something? to prevent me from doing my job with the intention of trying to prevent me from doing my job. And uh, notice that the this offense, even though it's more serious, is still punished the same way, but it becomes a felony if the uh, threat or the actual force is used uh, in relation to a violation, or the, excuse me, the attempt to obstruct justice um, is used in relating relating to a violation of or conspiracy to violate 182248, uh, which is distribution or possession with intent to distribute uh, uh, drugs, or a violation of 18.246.2 or 46.3, which is a gang offenses, or uh, violating any violent or a violation of or conspiracy to violate any violent felony offense listed in uh, subsection C of Virginia Code 17.1-805. So that's a lot of felonies. Now it's, it's worth noting that when we talk about what a violent felony is in Virginia, there's a couple of different definitions of the term violent felony in different places uh, in the Virginia Code. There's one section in 19.2 that's very limited and it talks about rape, robbery, murder, you know, the things that are, you know, uh, the real uh, core violent felonies. But the obstruction code section references a different list of violent felonies, and that's in 17.1-805. And that's a really long list, and it includes a lot of offenses. I mean, dozens of offenses. Um, it includes, obviously, you know, murder, rape, robbery, uh, gang offenses, all that kind of thing. It also includes, however, um, felony uh, domestic violence offenses, uh, felony stalking. It involves sexual battery. Uh, it involves burglaries, uh, lots of different burglary offenses. It involves possession of a firearm by convicted felon or possession of a firearm by uh, other prohibited person. Um, it involves a whole series of um, child sexual assault offenses, adult sexual assault offenses, uh, lots and lots of different code sections. So they have to be violent, but notice sometimes you, it's an offense that you might not automatically think of as violent, like possession of a firearm by felon or burglary, but it's treated by the code as violent. So what does that mean? What it means is that if you um, are 
if you are investigating one of these offenses and the person tries to, uh, by threats or uh, by threats of bodily harm or by force, attempts to intimidate or impede you or intends to intimidate a judge, a magistrate, a juror, an attorney for the Commonwealth witness, or, you know, so on, um, then it is a class five felony. So that's up to 10 years in the penitentiary. So it's a pretty serious punishment. And what would be an example of that? Well, Jordan versus Commonwealth, a 2007 case, um, and Jordan is uh, involves a defendant who's under arrest for possession with intent to distribute um, MDMA, ecstasy. And during the course of that uh, investigation, arrest, he pockets cash that the officers had seized from him and had put inside the patrol officer. So he steals the mo- you know, money that they had seized. At the magistrate's office, uh, he starts to struggle, uh, tries to pull away from the officer. And so in in that instance, then the question is, all right, so is that impeding with force in an investigation for a qualifying offense? And the court says, yeah, it's a qualifying offense. It's possession with intent to distribute. And so that falls underneath the statute. The reason that that case isn't obstruction, though, is because it doesn't involve <clears throat> the use of force. The, uh, the, the suspect in this case uh, simply stole the cash from its location where it was between the seats and the police vehicle. And so it wasn't the kind of force that was involved in 182460C. So Notice here that the kind of force involved in the felony obstruction here is uh, very specifically defined. In fact, more specifically defined than in subsection B. So subsection C makes it unlo- makes it a felony to use threats of bodily harm or force to attempt to intimidate or impede a judge, right? Subsection B simply talks about using by threats or force. Um, so it still has to be force, I mean, in, in, under subsection B, to be the misdemeanor. Um, but it just says threats. It says general threats. It might be a threat like, I'm going to, um, you know, I don't know, it just says general threats, right? But subsection C says a threat of bodily harm, right? So that's got to be a very specific kind of threat. So we're narrowing down the behavior in subsection C that makes it a, makes obstruction a felony. You're not going to get a lot of offenses that will fall into this category, but certainly a lot of stuff that maybe sort of walks the line between assault on police officer and obstruction. Uh, this would certainly be a consideration, right? Do I want to bring an assault on police officer charge or do I want to bring this? In? Um, Another part of the obstruction code section that we uh, that used to be located in a different part of the code is uh, subsection D obstruction, and that's a false statement kind of obstruction. It involves a situation where somebody has made a knowingly and willfully materially false statement or representation to a law enforcement officer or animal control officer employed pursuant to or animal control officer who is in the course of conducting an investigation of a crime by another. So if you make a materially false statement or representation to a law enforcement officer or to an animal control officer in the course of conducting an investigation of a crime by another, you're guilty of a class one misdemeanor. So notice that this does not include somebody making a false statement about a crime that they committed. Okay, so uh, remember, if we go all the way back to our obstruction conversation, we talked about Ruckman versus Commonwealth. The officer responds to a crash scene. He's talking to Mr. Ruckman. He's saying, hey, who caused this crash? Who was driving this car? Whose car is this? Ruckman's like, I don't know. I wasn't driving. I wasn't involved in the crash. I don't know whose car it is. 
All that is false. It's it's Ruckman's car. Ruckman was driving. Ruckman caused the crash. Uh, but Ruckman keeps denying, denying, denying. And in that case, and this is back in the 1990s before this part of the code section existed, they charge him with code section A, obstruction. And again, the Court of Appeals reverses, saying the officer was able to complete his task by talking to other witnesses. Mr. Ruckman didn't obstruct the officer. He simply didn't cooperate with the officer. Subsection D makes it a crime to make a false statement but not the kind of false statement that Ruckman makes, because again, Ruckman's making a false statement about a crime that he committed, right? So Ruckman is still not guilty under this new part of the code, under Code Section C, because he's making a false statement about his own crime. Essentially, you know, uh, you have the permission by the General Assembly to lie about something that you did yourself. The false, the, the, the crime comes in if Ruckman said, um, if somebody else had said, for example, if somebody at the scene, like Ruckman's buddy, had said, no, man, Ruckman wasn't driving. The driver was, um, you know, some other guy and gives a description of some other guy that's completely false, right? So if in that case, then Ruckman's buddy would go to jail potentially for obstruction under subsection D because he's making a materially false statement or a materially false representation to an officer who's conducting an uh, investigation of a crime by somebody else, ultimately the crime by Ruckman, right? So that's where subsection D comes in. So it's a useful tool uh, in a limited set of circumstances. Now, the next issue that I want to talk about is what do you do with somebody who uh, tries to run away, who's trying to escape uh, in a situation where you have them lawfully in custody, you have them uh, lawfully detained, right? So remember, we talked about in Jones versus Commonwealth, which is that 1920s case that sets the rule that simply fleeing from law enforcement, even if they have the lawful right to detain the person, is not obstruction of justice, right? That's 182460A, obstruction of justice uh, without force or without threats, without violence. Simply running from the police is not a criminal offense. And what happens over the course of time is, to address that, the General Assembly comes up with 18.2460E, which addresses, which is sort of our resisting arrest code section. But in order to get there, it's important first to understand uh, the escape code sections and why the escape code sections are so limited, why the, uh, the, the power of them is so limited. 18, the escape code sections are in 18.2478 and 18.2479. And they involve somebody who's escaping from uh, a law enforcement officer on a charge of either a misdemeanor or a felony. So 18.2478 describes somebody who is uh, who's lawfully imprisoned in jail, but not tried or sentenced. So in the subsection, in the first portion, we're talking about pretrial detainees, somebody who's actually in a jail. Okay, again, that's not going to address a street level situation where you've got somebody who's in custody. And 18.2478 also addresses any person who's lawfully in the custody of a police officer on a charge of a criminal offense who escapes from that custody by force or violence. If you use force or violence to escape from an officer's custody, when you are in that officer's custody on a charge of a criminal offense, that's always a felony, regardless of whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony offense that you're in, you're in custody for. If I'm in an officer's custody on a charge of criminal offense and I use force or violence to get to escape, it's a class six felony. But 18.2479 makes clear that if I'm escaping from an officer on a charge of a misdemeanor and I'm not using force or violence, then that's just a misdemeanor offense. If I escape from an officer 
uh, from an officer that I'm in custody. I'm in the officer's custody. I'm on a custody on a charge of a, or, or a conviction of a misdemeanor. And I escape, but I don't use force or violence. It's a class one misdemeanor. If I'm in an officer's custody on a charge of a felony, well, that's a class six felony if I escape, regardless of whether I use force or violence or not. But what makes these so uh, limited is that under Hubbard versus Commonwealth and under Coles versus Commonwealth, to be in custody on a charge of a misdemeanor or a felony, the charge is more than probable cause. It has to actually be a warrant or a charging document. So Hubbard explains a charge exists only when a formal written complaint has been made against the accused and a prosecution initiated. So the escape code sections 18.2478 and 479 are useful for uh, you know sheriff's deputies who are doing transports and jail officers who are doing transports of individuals who have people or if you have somebody who's already been charged with a magistrate with a crime. But if they're not already charged with that crime, if they're simply in your custody under probable cause, then these code sections are going to be no help to you, right? You walk over, you see somebody, they punch some guy in the face. You walk over, you put that guy in handcuffs. You say, hey, man, you're going to jail. You're under arrest. You put him back to your police car. You know, that person is in custody for misdemeanor assault and battery. But these code sections don't apply because the courts have said that they only apply on a charge and a charge is a written warrant or other charging document. Now notice they would apply if you were serving a warrant. So if you're serving a probation violation warrant, for example, let's say it's a, uh, or if, you know, if you're charging a, um, an outstanding warrant for a felony offense or a misdemeanor offense, and you take the person into custody on that warrant, and that person escapes from you. If it's a misdemeanor warrant and they escape from you, they don't use force or violence, that's a misdemeanor charge. If it's a felony warrant and they escape from you, that's a felony charge because it was a felony warrant. If they, if you arrest them on any warrant, but they escape from you by using force or violence, they're guilty of a class six felony. So again, just like the false statement charge, it is a useful code section, albeit for uh, a limited set of circumstances. Now, all that brings us to uh, the last part of the code section that I want to talk about, which is 18.2460E. This is the resisting arrest code section. Now, a little bit of history about this. We didn't have a resisting arrest code section for a long time, and then the General Assembly enacted it, mostly because they got tired, I think, of seeing people you know, running away from the police or escaping from police or breaking free from police officers when they were being arrested on the street, right? When not necessarily in warrantless arrest. Um, and, and, and of course the courts were saying that simply fleeing from the, from law enforcement is not a crime, uh, under the obstruction of code, justice code section. So originally we had this code section, uh, called 18.2479.1. So they put it right next to the escape code sections. Then in 2018, they decided to move it to the obstruction code section because it really wasn't. Uh, an escape code section at all. It was intentionally preventing an officer from arresting, arresting you. So they moved it to 460E. So now it's a form of obstruction. And that's where it, it has resided since 2018. And this code section says that any person who intentionally prevents or attempts to prevent a law enforcement officer from lawfully arresting him, whether, whether the officer has a warrant or not, is guilty of a class one misdemeanor. 
So uh, here notice that we're addressing different behavior than the escape code sections. First of all, we're addressing somebody who's being arrested potentially in a warrantless arrest. But second of all, we're dealing with somebody who's intentionally preventing or attempting to prevent the law enforcement officer from lawfully arresting him. <clears throat> so you're trying to prevent an officer from doing uh, their lawful duty, what they're required to do. So it's very similar to section A, obstruction. Um, in fact, if we look at section A, obstruction, let's look back at the, um, the language of that code section again. Subsection A says, if any person without just cause knowingly obstructs a judge, magistrate, blah, 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 or law enforcement officer in the performance of their duties as such, or without just cause, they fail or refuse to cease such obstruction when requested to do so by the officer, they're guilty of a class one misdemeanor. All right, so that's what uh, sort of passive obstruction is. And then when we look at, again, resisting arrest is a, a person who intentionally prevents or attempts to prevent a law enforcement officer from lawfully arresting him. That's a class one misdemeanor. So the what does it mean to intentionally prevent an arrest? Well, here the General Assembly stepped in and said, we're going to define what that is. So intentionally preventing an arrest means a couple of different things. First of all, it means fleeing from a law enforcement officer. Okay, so they already write in the code section. We're talking about people who are fleeing from law, law enforcement officer. When... Either the officer applies physical force to the person, okay? So uh, here, if you have, again, if you've grabbed somebody and you've said, um, you're under arrest, and you grab the person, the guy punches somebody in the face, you walk over, you say, hey man, you're under arrest, you grab that person, and that person uh, breaks free and runs away, okay? Or um, the uh, officer, or the person, the officer communicates to the person that they're under arrest, the officer has the legal authority to put them under arrest, and the officer has the physical ability to put the person under arrest, then that would apply so long as a reasonable person who receives such communication would know or should know that he's not free to leave. So again, <clears throat> my guy is standing on the street corner. He punches someone in the face, just some random person. The officer walks over to him and says, hey man, you're under arrest. Turn around and put your hands behind your back. And the officer is within reach to grab him, but doesn't actually reach out and grab him before the person turns around and runs away. <clears throat> then, right, that would fall under intentionally preventing arrest. So before we get too excited about that, uh, let's look at Joseph versus Commonwealth, which is a 2015 case. So 20, 20, uh, Joseph versus Commonwealth is a case where an officer stops the defendant who is driving a car and finds out that he's got several outstanding warrants. When the officer tries to take the defendant into custody, the defendant refuses to comply. He struggles against the officer. He, um, he again, is able to pull away from the officer. Uh, the, the officer is not able to handcuff him. And um, so they get into this fight. They get into this struggle. And at trial, the court convicts the defendant of resisting arrest, which is what we call this code section, or we called it back in uh, before 2018. It was actually 18, when it was 18.2479.1 before they moved it to obstruction. We actually called the code section resisting arrest. They convicted the defendant, the court convicted the defendant. Now again, notice what's the violation here. The code section says that it's a criminal offense for any person to intentionally prevent or attempt to prevent a law enforcement officer from lawfully arresting him. And 
because they wanted to make sure that that running away was um, fell fall within it, the court, the General Assembly defined intentionally preventing arrest as what we just talked about. Intentionally preventing or attempting to prevent a lawful arrest means fleeing from a law enforcement officer when the officer applies physical force or when the officer communicates the person under arrest and has legal authority to put them in, in custody and has the immediate ability to do it so long as a reasonable person would know that they're, they're not free to leave. So while Mr. Joseph, so look at what Mr. Joseph does. Mr. Joseph doesn't want to get arrested. So he uh, struggles with the officer, he refuses to comply. He repels the officer's attempts to handcuff him. He pulls away from the officer. Uh, he struggles as the officer is trying to, 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 to handcuff him. So if you're looking at this code section, he's trying to prevent the law enforcement officer from arresting him Is a, in, a, in a sort of common sense definition of that word. But as you just noticed, the code section doesn't use the common sense definition of the word. The code section specifically defines what it means to intentionally prevent or attempt to prevent a law enforcement officer from arresting you. Uh, and it, it provides that definition that we just read. Intentionally preventing or attempting to prevent a law, lawful arrest means fleeing from a law enforcement officer when the officer applies physical force or you know yada, 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 right? So let's go back to Mr. Joseph. Here, the court convicts the defendant of uh, this offense, and the court says he's not fleeing from the law enforcement officer. And the code says that preventing an arrest means fleeing from a law enforcement officer. Non-compliance and resisting arrest are not fleeing under this code section. There has to be evidence of running away or physical movement beyond the scope of the officer's immediate span of control. So again, going back to my example, <clears throat> if you walk up to, there's some guy standing on the street corner <clears throat> and he punches out some poor citizen. You walk over and you say, hey, sir, you're under arrest. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. And you don't put your hands on them, but the person takes off running. That would be <clears throat> a violation of this code section. You say, turn around, put your hands behind your back. You reach out, you grab them, and the person starts to struggle with you, but they don't run away. They're just struggling with you. It wouldn't be a violation of this code section. So what would be an example of a violation of this code section? Let's look at Perry versus Commonwealth. In Perry, an officer arrests the defendant and then uh, is walking the defendant to the jail, right? So again, there hasn't been a formal charging document. Uh, there hasn't been a warrant issued. He hasn't been convicted of the crime yet. So we're not yet getting to escape, the 479 escape. We're still in our uh, pre-warrant, pre-conviction stage. He's got Mr. Perry in custody, though. Mr. Perry is definitely under arrest. He's walking the defendant to the jail, and the defendant at that point um, pulls away from the officer, breaks free from the officer's grasp, takes a few steps away, is able to escape for, <clears throat> you know, whatever, four or five steps. But the officer immediately was able to restrain the defendant again. So how is that different than Mr. Joseph? Well, let's go back and look at our code section. <clears throat> Again, the code section says that it is a criminal offense to intentionally prevent or attempt to prevent a law enforcement officer from lawfully arresting you. And the code defines that as fleeing from a law enforcement officer when the officer has applied physical force to the person. So has the officer applied physical force to Mr. Perry? Sure, absolutely. I mean, he's put him in handcuffs. He's put him back to the police car. He's driven him to the jail. He's holding on to him. He's got him, you know, he's probably got him. He's grabbing him by the bicep or whatever, walking him to the jail. But let's look at the other part. Has the officer communicated to the person that he's under arrest? Sure, at some point he's told him you're under arrest, you're going to jail. 
Um, and if you're using that subsection, the communicating to the person under arrest, does the officer have the legal authority to arrest him? Sure, absolutely. And does he have the immediate physical ability to place him under arrest? Well, yeah, he's already in custody. Would a reasonable person know uh, that they were under arrest, that they that they were not free to leave? Not even that they're under arrest. The, the code section here just says, would a reasonable person know they're not free to leave? Again, he's being driven to the jail. He's in handcuffs. He knows he's not free to leave. So uh, for all those reasons, the court found that the defendant uh, was guilty of uh, this code section, violating this code section by attempting to flee from the law enforcement officer. Now, again, this was when the code section was contained under 182479.1 before we moved it to the obstruction code section. So now you will find this in subsection E of obstruction, and really that's probably where it belongs. Uh, that's that because it just makes more sense that way. So where does that leave you again with your options? You've got 18.2460A, which is passive obstruction of justice. That's somebody who is um, doing something to prevent you from doing your job without using force or threats of force. Uh, but maybe they're doing, and, and they're not just running away, um, but maybe they're doing something like you, uh, resisting by direct action and forcible conduct like in Brown, where again, the, the officer is breaking free of the officer's grasp. Um, maybe that maybe they are um, uh, taking up a fighting stance, and again, that's kind of on the realm of, of threats of force under Section B. Um, but uh, but that would be like in in, in Henry versus Commonwealth, where the officer um, uh, uses uh, a threat of force, a struggle to to get away from an officer. Um, maybe it's in Thorn, where the person locks herself in the car and won't get out of the car for 10 minutes and backup has to arrive during the course of a traffic investigation. Or maybe it's um, locking a police out of a vehicle that they have lawful authority to search, like in Miles versus Commonwealth. Um, it might be a situation like in Molinet versus Commonwealth, where uh, an individual walks up to officers who are conducting an investigation and starts making threatening gestures and screaming at them and drawing officers away. So now they can't conduct the investigation. They have to deal with this person who's creating this disturbance, right? That would be uh, uh, in Molinet. But remember, like in the Tabron case we talked about last time, simply yelling at the police uh, and distracting an officer, unless there's some articulation that it prevented the officer from doing their job, is not considered to be obstruction, right? Uh, we're talking about somebody like in uh, the Fripp Hayes case we talked about last week who prevents an officer from taking a picture of a suspect and, you know, tries to drive the suspect away from the scene. That would be obstruction, right? Um, and so, uh, um, you know, smacking an officer's uh, hand away during a course of a, a, a traffic investigation and um, uh, you, when you're the passenger in the car and preventing the officer from talking to the driver and you know that kind of stuff like in Bennett versus Commonwealth that again would be uh, passive obstruction of justice and of course we've talked today about active obstruction of justice like threatening police officers saying you're going to pick you off one by one if you come in here locking yourself in a room that's Testa versus Commonwealth um, that would be uh, uh, that would be active obstruction. That would be what we call impeding, right? Force or threats of force, which can become a felony if you're investigating certain types of felonies. So I hope I've given you guys some different tools, some different ideas to deal with people who are sort of agitators, causing civil disturbances or causing disturbances, uh, preventing you from doing your job. 
Um, let me know if you have other ideas. Uh, I got a great idea from someone uh, last week when we were doing a training uh, about some cool, uh, about, uh, about a potential podcast topic to do uh, in the future. Um, he wanted to talk about handling informants. So thanks for that idea. I think it's a great idea. So I'll try to put together some uh, discussions of dealing with informants. But for today, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.